morning, everyone. Please stand with us. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, and Lord, we come. We gather together to lift up your name, to call on a Savior, to fall on your grace. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit, Lord, we come, we gather together to lift up your name, to call on a Savior, to fall on your grace. Hear the joyful sound of our offering as your saints bow down, as your people sing. We will rise with you, lifted on your wings, and the world will see that our God gather together to lift up your name, to call on a Savior, to fall on your grace. Hear the joyful sound of our offering as your saints bow down, as your people sing. We will rise with you lifted on your wings, and the world will see that our God Good morning. 
Good to see everybody today. Hope you are all doing exceptionally well. We are delighted that you are here, uh, able to come together and worship our great God and Savior Jesus Christ on this uh, this wonderful day. We got a big day today. Uh, after our service this morning, we've got a baby shower, uh, which normally some of the guys there's a collective groan when we say that but this is a three times the baby shower uh so it's going to be right after church and it's going to be lunch for 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 you guys so so we want to make sure that you're there to take advantage of that uh so so we got you covered today as we celebrate uh three times the fun today so uh uh, but, uh, but right now, we want to uh, take a moment to, to greet each other, say good morning. If you see someone you don't recognize, go say hello, and we're going to continue worshiping together here in just a moment. What's that? I spit in vanity and pride Caring not my Lord was crucified Knowing not it was for me he died at Calvary By God's word alas my sin I learned then I trembled at the law I'd spurned Till my guilty soul in glory turned to Calvary grace and brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God despaired at Calvary. Yeah. 
found dressed in his righteousness Amen. 
your heads with me, please. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the precious name of Jesus. You've given us another beautiful day, a great day to be alive, Lord. And because of your saving grace, your mercy, your love for us, we stand here today. And Lord, we just pray that our worship is acceptable to you and our hearts are pure. And that we come to you, leaving all things aside and focus entirely on you. And Lord, we come to this part of the service where we give back a little of what so much you have given us. We pray that it's acceptable and pleasing in your eyes, Lord. And we just thank you, Lord, because through all things, you are there and our hope resides in you. We ask these things and say these things in your most precious name, Jesus. Amen.
go over here this morning. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Amen? Don't you like it when preachers ask for, for confirmation? Amen? Yeah, all right. So, hey, um, I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about uh, something the choir just talked about. They just sang a song about worshiping. They, they, they worshiped uh, by singing a song about worship, talking about what worship means, okay? Uh, so, so let's talk about that for just a minute. To, to do that, I want to share with you something from, from my past, okay? Something from a from long time ago. Um, this is uh, one of my favorite days ever. This is a picture here. Who's that a, a picture of? Anybody see that? You know who that is. Who is it? It's my wife, your mama. Yeah, that's right, that's right. That's Miss Lindsay. Is uh, dressed in her bridal gown on the day we got married. And so, hey, listen, um, one of the things that, that we can do together is reminisce about some of those things. We think about our wedding day sometimes. Think about maybe, uh, think about our first date. I was going to take her out to this go-kart track in in uh, in Atlanta and it was raining that day so we didn't do that we we had to we had to make other arrangements and so uh, we went and we went to this really high-class establishment called Dave and Buster's and uh, we just we, we had a really good time uh, you boys appreciate this playing video games and stuff like that so but we we think about think about the things in our past and it helps us appreciate appreciate where we are today listen Sometimes, when it comes to worship, it's good just to remember all that God has done for you. It's good to remember your walk as, as you have grown in the Lord. It's good to think back about how he's been faithful to you. To, it's good to think back about the blessings that he has shared with you. And, and then to just praise him and thank him for that. That's a lot of what that song did that the choir just sang right at the front end. Just talked about how good God is and, and, gave, and just, just sang praises to him. But listen, look at me. I'm, I'm looking. Let's see who we have here. Uh, who we got on the end over there? Is Eli? Okay, I'm looking. Uh, well, I'm really looking for somebody that's sitting down here that's been, I don't know, that's been a Christian for like 25, 30, maybe 50 years. Any of you been a Christian that long? Oh, goodness. Well, how can, you, how can you tell me how good God was to you 25 years ago? How can you do that? That's really just a silly question, Pastor BJ. Why would you say that? Because, listen, here's the deal. One of the, one of the things that we do in our church is we think it's important for you all to worship with, your, with, with the adults, with your moms and dads and grandparents, maybe not even your own grandparents, but just some, some other people who've been, work, who've been walking with the Lord for a long time. It's good to do that. It's good to do that. Um, here in Psalm 78, it says this. It says, he established a testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded, listen, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children. It's a good thing for us to worship together with a lot of different generations. It's a good thing for you to see how your mom and dad worship. It's a good thing for you to see how an older generation worships. It's a good thing, listen to this, it's a good thing for an older generation to see how you worship. We teach each other, okay? Listen, I'll, I'll never forget. Just a little story from, from my childhood. I'll, I'll never forget this. There's a lady. Her name was Maggie Campbell. Miss Maggie Campbell was a grandma to one of my good friends, and she sang in our church choir. She sang in our church choir, and uh, she was diagnosed with cancer. 
And she got so weak that uh, she could still come to church, but she got weak to the point that it was hard for her to hold the songbook. So she was standing next to my mom in, in the choir, and I'll never forget this. She just asked my mom, she said, can you hold the book for the two of us? And I'll just stand over here and sing and clap. That's what she wanted to do. That's, that's about all she could do, but she wanted to worship. And I, I remember that as a, as, a, as, a, as a young boy, I remember seeing Miss Maggie worship. And it was awesome. And so I hope that you will look around on Sunday mornings and you learn what it means to worship God with God's people. And you'll always be, be able to say, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Father, it's good to think back over how faithful you have been and, and how good you've been to us. It's, it's good to even hear stories of how faithful you've been to other people. And so, Father, I pray even as these little children, they, they haven't been walking with you very long. But, Father, they will learn what it means to worship you. They'll learn from, from those of us who have been and, and, and can testify to your faithfulness. God, may we be faithful to you, even in our worship this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stand once again and we continue singing.
remain standing as we share God's Word together this morning from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you would help us to understand it and apply it correctly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Outside on the uh, foyer out, the welcome desk out there, you will find that there is a basket that is stacked full of of these cards. I want to give you a, a heads up. Coming up next Tuesday on the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, kids are going to come to your door to celebrate that momentous day. They're going to be there to celebrate the nailing of the 95 Theses to the Castle Church door in Wittenberg, Germany, when Martin Luther sparked the Protestant Reformation. Actually, no, they're just coming to look for candy. Lots of them. If you live in some neighborhoods, you could have hundreds of kids come by your door on that evening for Halloween, and we want to equip you to be able to take that opportunity when they're knocking on your door to to minister to them. And so what there are, there are stacks of cards that are out there. If you don't get trick-or-treaters, zone out for the next five minutes while I talk about this. But if you live in a a neighborhood where you get a lot, uh, Steve and Anita, y'all probably have tons out there. Uh, If you live in a neighborhood where you get lots of kids knocking on your door, please take cards with you. Now, it's going to take a little bit of work, but I may save you some money in the long run. Because what you do is you take one of these cards and you tape a good piece of candy to the front of this card. A good piece of candy. Don't put my church's name on some trashy piece of candy that you got. Okay? Reese cups are good. Okay? Butterfingers are good. Right? Uh, The little wax-colored orange and black stuff, don't even. Okay? So if you'll do that, if you'll tape a Reese cup to the front of this card, you know what's going to happen when you drop this card in little Junior's trick-or-treat bag. He's going to pull this out, and he's going to see that Reese cup stuck to the front of this card, and he's not going to throw that away. He's going to take that card, and he's going to work, on, work at that for a few minutes. And so he's going to have this card in his hand, and his mama's going to say, what is that card you've got in your hand? And he's going to give it to her, and she's going to get invited with her family to come worship with us, Okay. So how's that save you money? Because you only put one Reese cup on there. So, you know, sometimes when they, when they show up, you're kind of overwhelmed and you just throw a handful in there. I'm saving you by, only, you only have to put one Reese cup on this card. You don't have to put two or three in a bag, just one Reese cup on this card, and you will have the opportunity to invite lots and lots of kids to come to church. You don't have to do this, but name me another time where your neighbors come to your door and give you the opportunity to speak to them. There aren't many anymore. So take advantage of that opportunity. Like I said, they're in bundles of 50, so don't take 500 cards if you don't have 500 trick-or-treaters because we want this in as many hands as possible. We got 2,500 of these cards, so we want to make sure to get them in as many hands as possible, but we want to equip you to help reach the folks who are going to knock on your door and celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. So, and if you don't get trick-or-treaters... Think, uh, talk to folks in your Sunday school class and see who does. And maybe they'd like some, maybe you can have a little get-together at their house on Tuesday night and, uh, and have, a little, have a little 
giving out candy party at their home and uh, sit down and drink coffee and, and all the good stuff that comes with that kind of fellowship. But do take advantage of that. And the only work you have to do is get your candy and tape it to the front of the card. You don't have tape and you want to stick it in sandwich baggies, that's fine too. We're not real particular about that. Just make sure it's good candy, okay? Don't get that cheap trash. Uh, anyway, anyway. I was first introduced to the idea of submission as a young man. As a young man growing up watching WWF on Monday nights. You say, what in the world does submission have to do with WWF? Or depending what era you grew up. It could have been WCW or, or WWE. Uh, just depends on when you kind of grew up. But, but I grew up. I grew up, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan, and, and man, it was awesome as a little boy watching these guys wrestle. Now, submission, what does submission have to do with that? Well, you know what, what, how you won the match in, in, in wrestling? You had to have a submission hold, right? You had to have the submission hold. What was the submission hold? That was where, where one wrestler, the one you were always pulling for, because he always had an awesome submission hold. He would take his opponent and he would twist him and contort him into some sort of position that he could not get out of. And he had the choice, either sit here in pain or what everybody was hoping for, tap out. Tap. And now don't judge me, you guys watched trash when you were younger too that uh, you wouldn't watch today. So don't judge me, don't judge me. On the playground, submission hold was usually some painful stunt that one kid pulled on another, holding it there until the victim cried out, what? Uncle! Call out uncle. I don't know why my uncle never showed up. But in wrestling, that submission was always some sort of devastating match-ending maneuver. We always got excited because you never wanted to get in the clutches of that, of that guy who had that, had that terrible submission hold. Unfortunately... This is the same kind of stigma that's attached to the biblical concept of submission. It's almost universally seen by those outside of biblical Christianity as some sort of chauvinistic husband holding his wife in his clutches until she has no choice but to give in to his ever-tightening grip. Last week, we attempted to dispel that fallacy by first dealing with the responsibility of husbands and God's perfect standard of marriage. And I hope that as we consider the scriptures that were associated with this, that we see that in God's perfect standard of marriage, biblical headship, where, where a man leads his family as he should, is actually a wonderful thing. It's not something that, that we, should, we should reject. We understand that the scriptures tell husbands to love their wives as Christ loves his church. Husbands are to sacrificially love and lead their wives and their families. And the emphasis here was on the word sacrifice. Now, obviously, we don't always get that right. Men don't always fall, come through with this in the way that we should. Because in reality, it goes against our fallen nature to sacrificially love people like this. It's not how we were wired uh, when we were born. We are programmed by our flesh to really look out for our own best interest rather than the best interests of others. That's our constant battle, right? Uh, in all circumstances, in all situations, our constant battle is, is 
the battle between looking out for our own best interest versus looking out for the best interest of others. I love the fact, though, that Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 tells husbands to love their wives as they love themselves. That, that there, there is a sense, men, that if you, you should understand this, that, that by loving your wife well, you're actually doing yourself a favor. Believe me. Love your wife well, and you're doing yourself an outstanding favor as well. But the beauty in the way God has designed this is, 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 is the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus is remaking us into his image. And so as we grow in our walk with the Lord, as we continue down this faith journey, we see Jesus constantly working in our heart. And with that work, with that process of sanctification, we should see over the course of time an increasing capacity, an increasing capability on our part of setting aside ourselves for the good of others and for the glory of God. We should see that happening. If you're a Christian and you're walking with the Lord, you should see that in your life, an increasing propensity to set aside self for the sake of others. And so we talked about that last week. We picked on the men last week. This morning, I want us to continue to pick on the men because that's what we do. But this morning, I want us to consider the other side of this coin. I want us to consider, we talked about sacrifice last week. This morning, I want us to talk about submission. And I hope that we can see that biblical submission is a beautiful arrangement that God has given to us. But I want us to make sure that we understand that there are boundaries that need to be respected. Last week, I challenged you that the picture of riding off into the sunset, into this fairy tale ending of, of happily ever after, is actually a dangerous standard because happiness is so fleeting. The truth is this I believe that Christian marriage can be greater than a happily ever after if we do it God's way. Because if we do it God's way, we're going to have marriages that aren't necessarily happily ever after, but something better, healthy ever after. So how do we find it? We talked about this last week. The part of the equation is for men to love sacrificially, but how do we continue working towards finding this, this, this magic place that the fairy tales seem to exist in? In order to understand this, we need to understand the parable that Paul is telling us here. Marriage, Paul has made clear, is a living parable of the gospel and Christ's ongoing relationship to his church. So because it's a parable, there's some things that we can know and understand. For instance, we know that Jesus loves his church. Amen? Jesus loves his church. We, we know that Jesus knows his church, right? Because the good shepherd knows his sheep, and the sheep know the voice of the shepherd, right? So, so Jesus knows his church. It's not just that he loves them, and, and, you know, he's like, I wonder what they're up to down there, you know, checking in periodically. Jesus knows his church. He knows us inside, outside. He knows our names. He knows the hairs or the lack of hairs on our head. Jesus knows his church. We also know Jesus died for his church. Jesus died for his church. We know Jesus is concerned for the well-being of his church. We know that Jesus presides over the sanctification of his church. This is, the, this is what we know about Jesus. These are facts that we know about Jesus relating to the church. These are facts pertaining to the relationship that Jesus has with his church. These are things that we know and we know without doubt. These are things we, can, we are guaranteed. And even though I don't always get it right, guess what? 
I am still glad to surrender my life to this. This picture that, that we have of Jesus who, who loves me and cares for me and knows me and, and is worried about my well-being, I'm glad to surrender to that, aren't you? I mean, if there is someone who is that concerned about my well-being that they would lay down their life for me, I am glad to surrender myself to that. We call him Lord for a good reason, because he has done far more for us than we could ever do for him, and so I am glad to surrender my life to this. Show me something better. Show me someone better. Show me someone who loves greater, who's concerned more. Show me someone who has my best interest in mind. Show me someone. You won't find them. They don't exist. And even though I don't always get it right, even though I don't always surrender as I should, even though I I still like to buck that authority, don't you, from time to time? It doesn't change what he's done, who he is, and how he loves. So as the church... We have this benevolent Savior who cares supremely for us, and we submit gladly to his leadership. We understand that Jesus is for us. He is not against us. We understand these things to be true. We recognize as the church that he loves us. We acknowledge his rule over us. We also have to be mindful that every ounce of our flesh rebels against this. Because our flesh still cries out for what? For self. Flesh is still crying out for self. All the time, every time. When we wake up in the morning, the flesh is crying out for self. Paul said, I have to die daily to myself. Because it's calling out. It's pleading. It's beckoning. It's asking for you to satisfy your flesh and not be submitted to Jesus. When we translate this to marriage, we don't use terms like Lord or rule. We don't use those terms. But we still see the parallels that exist in this parable. In love, husbands lead, as Jesus does. Concern for the well-being of, their, of, of its bride. Concern for the spiritual health of the bride. Concern for the goodness of the bride. In love, husbands lead. And in love, wives submit to that loving leadership. This is only flawed because we have flawed people trying to execute the plan. Right? It's like a a football coach, right? Football coach has got a game plan. What's the biggest problem with a football coach's well-thought-out game plan? The people on on the field. All those guys hoping that all 11 of them heard the same thing, read the same signs, got the same signals, practiced the same practice, remembered the same way, hoping that all 11 of those guys worked together in concert to accomplish the task that's set before them. The plan is good, but execution so often struggles. Here we see the plan is good. God has given us a good plan, but the plan is flawed because flawed people are trying to execute it. We have people who are under the effects of the curse, and we have people who are selfish by their nature. And by their nature being selfish, they reject lovingly leading and selflessly sacrificing, and they reject submission because those things fly in the face of self. So in order for this parable to work, there's some things that we need to to be able to employ beyond this. First, we need to understand this that love 
from a husband to the wife should not be conditioned upon her willingness or ability to submit to his leadership. Love for the wife is not conditioned by the woman's willingness to submit. Husbands, you don't get to be selfish because your wife is. Hello. See, sometimes we do this in marriage. We like to retaliate and reciprocate. Well, we don't get to do that, right? It doesn't work in our parable, so it shouldn't work in real life. Jesus doesn't retaliate against us, right, because we mess up. He doesn't just say, well, you guys are sure stiff-necked and obstinate, and I'm not going to love you anymore right now until you get your act together. Does that, is that how it works? I hope not. I hope not. Because then we no longer have a, a, a loving Savior like that. We have a, a, a very, uh, 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 just, you don't ever know where you stand with it. Husbands, you don't get to be selfish because your wife is. And, and again, Jesus is our model. Jesus doesn't stop loving his church because the church is wrong. Jesus loves his church even when she is unlovable. Isn't that something? What if our marriages were like that? Husbands, what if you love your wife even when she's unlovable? Now, the right answer is, Pastor, my wife is never unlovable. You're welcome. <laughs> Secondly, submission is not conditioned upon the husband's ability to get sacrifice right 100% of the time. As I've said, biblical submission occurs within the boundaries of God's established structures and within the boundaries of God's established laws. And when our relationship expectations move beyond that, then biblical submission has reached its limits. But we know Jesus would never ask his church to do that which contradicts with his word. The church is never going to be in the position to say, Jesus, we just can't do that. You're asking us to do something that goes against your word. Jesus will never do that. Sometimes husbands do. Sometimes those with authority ask us to go further than our faith will allow. And at that point, we're no longer obligated to comply. But within those boundaries, submission is an expectation. In order to understand though what submission is, sometimes it's easier to understand what it isn't, right? Sometimes it's easier to understand the positive of something by understanding the negative of it. And so I want us to think then what submission is on the basis of what it is not. Now obviously this goes without saying, I'm not even going to spend time on this, that, that submission doesn't mean that a wife puts her safety and security aside for a violent or abusive husband. I don't even want to spend time dealing with that today. That, that should be an understood thing for us. A woman should never submit herself to violence or abuse. A woman who's in an abusive marriage or relationship has no choice but to flee that. Okay? We should never be in a place where a woman puts herself in that position. So I'm not even going to speak to that because that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's an assumed statement there. But here are things submission is not. Submission is not agreeing on everything. Submission is not agreeing on anything. Aren't you glad about that? Anybody disagreed this week? Husbands, you'd better hope that your wife doesn't agree with you on everything. Because you're not always right. You're welcome, ladies. He's not always right. Sometimes he's wrong. But a good principle in all of our relationships, not just marriage, but in the church and, and in our workplaces and things like that, a good principle is that you should be able to disagree without being disagreeable. That's a, that's a principle we try to live by. We can disagree without being disagreeable. There are times, ladies, when your husband is absolutely wrong about things, and you have no choice but to disagree with him. 
There are times that he is often left field because he is thinking out of the flesh. He is thinking about himself. He is thinking about his best interest, just like you do from time to time. And when that is his MO, when that is his thought process, you got to disagree. You got to disagree. Not in a hateful, obnoxious way, but you simply have to disagree. Secondly, submission does not mean leaving one's brain at the altar. Part of God's design in marriage, part of God's design in us as human beings is that, and particularly with the woman being designated as the helper in the Garden of Eden, is that she is an independent person and she's fully capable of reason and intellect. Fully capable. Gentlemen, you're wise to listen to it. You're wise to pay attention to it. A wise husband listens to this independent brain. A very wise husband is able to say, Honey, you were right, and I was wrong. A wise man is able to say that. Thirdly, submission does not mean that you don't try to influence your husband. If your spouse is wrong about something, you don't just give up on him in regards to those things. If you're married to a non-believer, you don't stop trying to reach him with the gospel just because you're tired of it, just because it's exhausting to try to do that. You don't give up trying to influence him. If your husband is leading your family in a direction that's not of God, you don't just say, well, that's the way he's going, that's the way I'm going to go too. You have to influence, you have to continue to engage and influence when, when that happens. If your husband doesn't go to church, you don't stop trying to convince him otherwise continue to try to influence. We know submission is not putting the will of the husband ahead of the will of Jesus. When a husband wants to lead his family in an ungodly way, well, the wife has to make the decision to follow Jesus instead of her husband. That's a tough place to be. Not every woman has to make that decision. Not every woman has to make that stand. But there are times where a woman has to put the will of Jesus ahead of the will of her husband because of the will of the husband is of the flesh. At the end of the day, Christ is Lord, not the spouse. In a good marriage, in a healthy marriage, both partners recognize that Christ is Lord and would never compromise that for the sake of their flesh. But sometimes that's not the reality. And sometimes we have to think beyond that. <clears throat> Paul's summary at the end of this passage is very helpful for us. It's very helpful for us. It's very helpful in that it helps us understand it. I did not read it because I wanted to save it till the end. But if you look at verse 33, it says this. It says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Paul summarizes this teaching with a very simple statement that expresses really the heart's desire of both husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wives. You see, your wife needs to know that she's loved. Am I right, ladies? You need to know that you're loved. You may know that you're loved, but that needs to be affirmed on a fairly regular basis. You need to know that you're loved. That's communicated in lots of different ways. It's communicated through gifts. In Steve Chapman's book, love, The Five Love Languages, helps, to, helps us to understand ways to communicate that. But the greatest way to communicate that love is through self-sacrifice and benevolent leadership. Husbands, if you'll do that, you'll have a happy wife, and you'll be doing your part 
and helping to secure that healthy ever after. Paul goes on to say, wives, respect your husbands. In a subtle shift of terminology, Paul gets to the heart of the matter. Paul ends this with, um, with a very important, um, very important instruction. He says for wives to show respect, and it's just a subtle change of terms. Um, as the same way that wives need to know that they're loved, husbands need to know that they're respected. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1 says, The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Ladies, if you really want to understand how not to respect your husband, then uh, author Sue Boland suggests the following as a good place to start. She says, be critical of the smallest things, the husband says and does. Don't let your spouse get away with anything. Stay vigilant for every little offense. Be sure to address those small details with an air of superiority. Unless it works better for you to act like a martyr, as if you deserve the Nobel Prize for putting up with someone who doesn't squeeze the toothpaste from the end. Complain about your spouse to your friends. It's even more powerful if you do it in front of your spouse. Then, if he objects, punch him in the arm and say, I'm just kidding, you take everything so seriously. Thirdly, there are a number of ways to show disrespect with nonverbal communication. Roll your eyes, click your tongue, narrow your eyes in contempt. The heavy sigh is a real winner as well. She says, straighten out your husband when he makes a mistake, especially in front of others. Lecture him, ridicule him, his feelings, his behavior, his dreams, his thoughts. Do everything you can to emasculate your husbands. Wives, be a mother to your husband. When people ask how many children you have, say things like, two, three if you count my husband. Tell him to wear a coat when it's cold. Take an umbrella when it's raining. Because he can't figure it out on his own. Be sure to say, I told you so, as often as possible. If he's passive or irresponsible, jump in and rescue him so he won't have to deal with the consequences of his own choices. Make sure he feels three years old. Tell him how to live his life down to the smallest detail. Some of us may need to give an honest evaluation of how we treat the person we promise to love until death do us part. You may need to ask yourself, am I doing my part to make sure that my marriage is as clear a picture of the gospel as it can be? You may need to ask yourself, am I loving my wife with the love that I think she deserves or with the love that I'm commanded to? to show. You may need to ask yourself, am I submitting to my husband? Am I respecting him with the respect I think he deserves or with the respect that I'm commanded to show? Last week we talked about the fact that there's three things that we have in life. We have facts, faith, and feelings. Our faith, our actions should be driven by our facts, not by our feelings. When we do that, things get off track. We know what our facts are. Husbands love your wives. Wives submit to your husbands. Those are our facts. Those are what drive our actions. Not, not our feelings. Our feelings follow those things. So let's be mindful of what we know to be true and that the actions we take reflect that. We pray these things. Or let's, uh, let's pray together. God, I thank you for this time to come together, Lord. I pray for... Ashley, again, Lord, in uh, what appears to be uh, a seizure, God, I pray that you would uh, 
take care of her, comfort her, Lord, whatever is triggering that, God, that you would help them to find it, Lord. I pray, God, that you would help us to take your word seriously, to take what we know to be true, to live our lives in, in light of the things that we know. God, I pray that you would help us to guard against feelings that can be so easily swayed. And God, help us to strive not for happy marriages, but instead for healthy marriages that can be full of happiness and joy, but that, um, that are much more stable and much more sturdy than those things that are driven by our emotions. Uh, God, we thank you for this time to come together, and um, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together and have a time of invitation. If you need to pray, you're welcome to. Let's stand together and sing. With heavenly comfort fraught, whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me, he leadeth me by his own hand, he leadeth me. His faithful that is it. Do pay attention to the announcements that are in the bulletin. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on. Um, don't forget to grab the, uh, the Halloween cards if you, uh, if you have, live in a neighborhood that gets a lot of, uh, lot of attention. Um, and uh, like I said, pay attention to all the announcements that are in the bulletin. We're going to have the shower right afterwards. Um, I know that you were asked to sign up. I think there's probably enough food that even if you didn't sign up, you're still welcome to come and, and be part of that. Um, the, uh, the Thompsons are, uh, are, uh, expecting, uh, expecting triplets, and so, uh, so that's why this shower looks a little bit differently, um, so, uh, so we're excited about that, eager to share that time with them, but, um, but that'll be in the fellowship hall shortly after our, our time here today. Uh, Steve, you mind coming up and, uh, who, oh, it's Kevin, it's, uh, Steve, I almost gave you a new job, Steve, um. Uh, Kevin, you come up, dismiss us in prayer. Be sure to, to ask a blessing over our, our meal that's, uh, that's following me here as well. So today, Father, uh, we just thank you uh, once again for this opportunity to come and praise and worship you this morning, dear Lord. I just thank you for your message. Thank you for your example, for the uh, perfect love, unconditional love, and uh, the example you give us for, for, for marriage. Just ask that you would help each and, every, each and every one of us strive for that, dear Lord. Just ask that you would be with Ashley uh, during this moment, be with the doctors and paramedics as they uh, attend to her. Just ask that uh, you would be with the Thompsons as they prepare for this new journey. Just ask that uh, you would uh, just be with them and just bless this time of, of uh, gathering and fellowship, uh, that you would just uh, make it fruitful in your heavenly and gracious name. Amen.